Hi, everybody. Sometimes on this show, we talk about movies. Sometimes we talk about video games. And sometimes Miles makes me talk about scary things. Today might be just one of those episodes. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your new favorite podcast, The More You Nerd. My name is Drew, and I am here to introduce a special ghost to the show. But first, I do have to bring in my partner in crime. Miles, how are you, buddy? I'm amazing. I, this is this is going swimmingly. Oh, it's I'm going so, so I'm so well. excited about everything happening right now. <laughs> and I'm extremely excited about our guest today. Yes. So Miles has talked to me about this individual for years now, uh, and I, I see Twitter interactions because, yes, we have a very popular Twitter account that I don't post to. Uh, Miles takes care of all of that. Uh, but we have with us a filmmaker. Michelle Iantuano, welcome. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thank you for having me on the show. And uh, it's really nice to be able to see Miles again uh, after yes. the 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 late pandemic. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was so funny because I, I think I think the year the pandemic hit, I was supposed to go to uh, the Charleston Horror Festival. Uh, is it Crimson? Nights? Crimson. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I mean, I had talked to Brittany about it and uh, Brittany Brock, who is a, also a local filmmaker who introduced me to Michelle. And hey, obviously the world fell apart and horror film festivals were not exactly a priority. <laughs> they're still having them, but uh, yeah, you know, whether having... they're in whether they're in person or not is to be seen. They're scary as just a consumer. in a different way. <laughs> As a consumer, I have actually really appreciated how the conventions and festival circuits are handling that because doing virtual screenings has allowed me to see stuff that often I wouldn't get to see for several years until a, a DVD uh, dump happened or it got on a streaming service. And so getting to see stuff like um, we're all going to the World's Fair is really rewarding to me as you know someone who doesn't get to see a lot of these things very often. And so I've 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 watched more stuff because of it. Yeah, I, I uh, unfortunately have not had enough of the attention span to sign up for any of the virtual festivals. <laughs> um, it, it's just like uh, you have to install an app or air play it from your phone. You, yeah. you know, there, there's just like extra steps and stuff to it that I just haven't been able to get behind from like a technology standpoint yet. Um, but I do think it is really cool that they are making things more accessible towards people who really wouldn't have an option of going outside ever um, to any sort of festival. And and uh, particularly the bigger festivals like like Sundance or like South by Southwest or F Fantastic mm -hmm. Fest, where, you know, if for a couple hundred bucks for a weekend pass and no travel expenses, uh, you can get access to some of the the new buzzy uh, films and stuff. If you if you feel like setting the weekend aside and kind of dedicating <laughs> the time to which I, I can never set a weekend aside and dedicate time to anything other than work these days. 
Well, that's because you are actively making <laughs> these things, too. Um, so Michelle is, as Drew said, a filmmaker. She's a writer, director, founder of Octopunk Media. And she is here today specifically to talk about her upcoming film, a sequel to 2018 released live scream live screamers so michelle for people who haven't seen the first film um kind of give us a little elevator pitch for live scream live scream is a real-time found footage horror film that takes place on a twitch like service or essentially you're watching a individual a gamer uh, play a haunted video game live on a live streaming platform with his chat going in the side and all these you know people in the chat talking about you know how much they love his gameplay and some of them roasting him and roasting each other and it's just very much like a, a standard twitch stream uh and then people start leaving the stream whenever he dies in the game and then he starts to realize that the people are actually dying every time he dies in the game uh, and it becomes a survival slasher film where essentially he has to survive the game uh with with all of his lives intact if he wants to save uh the lives of his fans and himself uh and like i said it's real-time found footage so it's all like a screen life computer screen horror film um that's basically you know meant to look like it's done in one take uh and if you've seen a movie like unfriended or host or searching or even like open windows uh it's something sort of similar to that where it's like you're watching somebody through their computer computer screen. Um, and I don't think anybody has really done that with gaming. Um, I mean, there are a couple, uh, there was a, a movie that came out this year in January. Uh, I cannot remember the name of it, unfortunately, but it takes place in like late nineties, um, video chat plus like some old school, like Sierra game, point and click adventure kind of <laughs> gameplay. Um, so I've, I have seen that been done uh, i can't really suspend disbelief that video chat was that good in 1999 <laughs> um <laughs> the, the, the real question is is the video in 169 or 43 right good question <laughs> um actually you know i i have it on hand right on discord because like i remember who mentioned it to me what's the title of that one um i am looking it up right right now uh deadware it's called Deadware. Uh, so if anybody's interested in this kind of movie, um, they can check. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know um, what my my full opinion on it is. But it is it is something similar where it's like a video game found footage screen life movie. But other than Deadware, I don't know of any other person who's really done that before uh, other than live stream. So if, if particularly in the modern day and with live streaming. Um, so it is a very unique concept. It's a very unique film. And I'm basically doing that again with live screamers where we're watching now a multiplayer group of gamers play a multiplayer horror game. And so you see their webcam, you see their gameplay uh, and you see them fight for their life to not die in the game or they'll die in real life, much like the stay alive. But stay alive was, of course, a you know, traditional sort of narrative film that had a very strange ending that was completely unrelated yes, to video gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. I so uh, I'm, I'm of course I'm smiling the entire time uh, Michelle is speaking because this I remember sitting in uh, basically a, an open brewery hangar bay door watching this film and I couldn't stop smiling because I felt like someone had really. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to blow smoke uh, to Michelle because she she knows this because I came up to her and was like, well, I'm not gonna say what I said, but I was just like, 
Holy crap, was, this movie was amazing. You guys wouldn't uh, believe the he, kind of language Miles gives up to off mic. It's whew. I think everyone knows what kind of language I get up to off mic. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> but but I am I, one thing that I love so much is video games mixed with horror and specifically horror film books whatever about video games and so few people do it and even fewer people do it well or with any degree of authenticity and what michelle's film the the first film did was it was clearly by someone who was there someone who at least cared enough to get what a twitch stream is like what the what the chat's typically like it didn't feel so a lot of for me and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but for me, a lot of video game films or films about video games come into two two things. One is very hello, fellow kids. Mm-hmm. And then the other is really, really try hard. And Either really cynical or really, yeah, try yeah, hard. <laughs> right. It's it's embarrassed that it's about video games and. Mm-hmm. This film didn't have either of those things. Like, yes, if you are, you know, super into watching Twitch streams and stuff, you're going to find a lot of things that you see frequently. But when you see that kind of stuff depicted in film, it's it's never present. And that's what I thought was so refreshing. Like, it was equally as fun to kind of keep up with the chat on the screen as much as the goings on in the the kind of. Uh, and this is another thing I really love because I'm a massive fan of the original like video game creepy pastas that the you know older internet like the Ben Drowned and mm-hmm. Lavender Town and all that stuff. And this is right at home with all of those things. And the fact that Miles, you- I, I'm I'm sorry to do this to you, but I need you for the sake of our audience, <laughs> and certainly not me. Explain what a creepy pasta is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horror story on the internet. It's, it's basically it's, the literary equivalent to found footage. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Um, it was, it's no sleep before no sleep. And what does that mean? Miles? Uh, no, you know, no sleep is a red subreddit because you know, I don't use Reddit except to look at no sleep. Um, so <laughs> Wait, Michelle, cre- cre- um, creepy pastas or copy pastas, they're copy and paste. That's where the, the, the term comes from. I only I'm only explaining this because I know my mom listens to this show and she'd be she'd <laughs> ask me what that meant. What's with the scary spaghetti? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's dangly a little bit. But uh. so one of the most impressive things about this film to me was not just that it felt very authentic and that it was a very cool horror story involving video games. But I asked you when we first met Michelle, who who made your video games? And you just kind of. Like it was nothing said, oh, I taught myself Unreal. That everything, is the truth. <laughs> everything in this in this film you made and you taught yourself Unreal. So kind of I would love for you to kind of walk me through like the decision making and the implementation of that. Um, so I had had a very brief encounter with Unreal Engine before that point, um, because there was another uh, project that I thought I might want to do in Unreal. So I did like 10 hours worth of tutorials and at least got myself familiar with the user interface and kind of how things work in, in Unreal Engine. And I found that it was very user friendly. I found that it was very easy to get a handle on and also doesn't require programming language. They have something called Blueprint, which is like a... Like you, you look at a grid and you can 
make a box that says, you know, hit X key. And then you do a little, little arrow out of it. It says play animation. And you just like, <laughs> you know, you assign like what you want to play the animation of. And it's like, okay, well now it's programmed. So now when I play the game, if I hit the X key, it does the thing. Um, and so that was very, very tangible for just the way my mind works and very, very accessible. And so when I came up with the idea for live scream and the concept of what if I did, cause you know, I I'll sit there and I'll watch a guy play video games for two straight hours and I'll be entertained. What if I put a narrative to that and made a movie, like I can make a feature in this format. And then I was like, yeah, but you gotta, you gotta build games for it. And, um, at the time I was like, well, I know enough of unreal, where do I get the assets from? I don't know how to model. I don't know how to animate. I don't know how to make characters. And then I looked at the Unreal Marketplace, and there's all these assets that you can purchase uh, for not a lot of money. And if you just have the textures and the resources, you can build things in the engine um, with your little resource packs pretty easily. So, um, yeah, it was just it was like a, a little slow inching, you know, toe in the water to um, to it's like with anything in in filmmaking really it's it's you you see what you want and then you you encounter a problem and you try to solve that problem and then you solve the next problem and you just keep solving problems until your movie's done and um that was kind of the way that live scream specifically worked is i i wrote some things in the script that i didn't necessarily know that i could do <laughs> uh or, or that, that i didn't know if i how i was going to programming program them or, or how i was going to make it work uh, but i was like well i'll figure that out when i have to <laughs> and um, that's tomorrow's so just, problem <laughs> it's tomorrow michelle's problem it's i have an amazing superpower of um being horrible to my future self <laughs> and making everything the problem of my future self and um that's just like so, a yeah, horror director <laughs> It's like it gives me so much confidence because all I have to do is just deal with my problem tomorrow. And um, and then, you know, I'm on deadline and um, I have to deal with this problem. And it's like, well, got to figure it out or the movie's not going to be finished. Or I got my actor coming to my house in three days to film the movie. I got to have a pre by then. So this has to work. And so, you know, just failure is not an option. <laughs> so is there ever a time where you're just like, Damn it, past Michelle. <laughs> all the time. All, all the time. I'm asking myself, why did I write this? Um, or why am I doing this? Why didn't I just, why didn't I prepare better? Why did, why did I play cyberpunk for five hours instead of working? Like, <laughs> and then it's like, because you just worked 10 hours before cyberpunk, bitch. Like you need to like do something other than work. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, all, yeah, all the time. Um, I think especially when it comes to just like, I definitely maybe over promise by what I know my capabilities are sometimes. And I never want to under deliver. Like that's my worst fear is under delivering what I promise. So um, a lot of times this has actually happened whenever I do crowdfunding things like i'll just i'll just be like oh if we reach this goal i'll do this and if we reach this goal i'll give everybody a polaroid and if we reach this goal i'll do this and then like it shows up and it does amazing and all of a sudden it's like oh my god i owe 80 polaroids to people okay <laughs> I, I and i figure it out and i make it work but then it's like i'm licking stamps you know <laughs> at midnight and i'm just like well i got myself into this situation uh i, I did this with my own accord i i'll have to change my ways next time <laughs> I, I have a movie pitch for you 
Mm. Because of your superpower of putting everything off until (laughs) future (laughs) Michelle, you have uh, an elderly person that has this power that before they can cross that mortal coil uh, has to deal with all of the stuff they have put off for their entire life (laughs) at the end of their life. Uh, um there is a movie uh about that called looper uh it's a a little more gritty than that but that's basically the plot of looper (laughs) that's true um so uh before before we start talking about live screamers um i know that you are not specifically just a horror director so i was kind of curious about your influences in in choosing live scream and, and telling a horror story um, so um, the first one, yeah, just the first one, um, mostly because because I've seen you know most of your work, and I mean you do do a lot of science fiction. Or I do fantasy. stop and make side detours into gay romance a lot. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, yes. The, the, um, so for those who don't know, she has essentially a, was it a trilogy for uh, technically a trilogy, <laughs> although yeah. about to be basically a duology because the original will be deleted when the remake gets made. But oh, okay. yeah. I, I've done um, I've done some detours into the Detroit Become Human universe where I take David Cage's tone deaf game and make it gay as fuck. Um, <laughs> you might have to put the little warning at the beginning for me too. Now that I mentioned, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not as bad as your comic book friend, but uh, <laughs> I'm at the point now where I forget to censor myself in front of my mother, which is bad. Um, but yeah, I uh, I definitely um, I have a couple movies called Detroit Evolution and now coming out at the end of the month, Detroit Reawakening, um, which are sci-fi gay romance stories that exist within the video game universe of Detroit Become Human, and those are on YouTube for free. Um, and so yeah, I've I've done that a little. Although I just said on a on another podcast um, that um, that romance and horror are not that different. There's total yeah. tension with both of them. One's just the tension of, um, is somebody about to die? And the other tension is, uh, when are they going to kiss? And so, um, if you put it like that, it's, it's all just an exercise in tension, just different, different outcomes. Um, so that's why I think what draws me to horror and what inspired me to write live scream was because I really like tension. I really like suspense. I like mystery. I like when a movie can set its premise from the get go. And then the entire movie is like, how are we going to get to the premise that we lay out? What's going to happen next? Um, how are these two people going to get together? How are they going to get out of the situation? How are they going to survive? Who's the killer? Um, really interesting questions from the get go that leave me wanting the answer by the end of the film. Like that makes a good movie an engaging movie for me. So horror kind of naturally has that built in. And I've always been drawn to, to stories with tension. And so, um, you know, horror was kind of a natural fit. And, um, I think that, you know, when I was watching that, that, live stream or that horror playthrough that inspired me to make live scream, you know, when I was like, oh, I could make a make I can make a feature in this format. Obviously, it needed to be a horror movie because it's like, what's going to compel somebody to like get to the right. end of the story? Like something scary has to be happening. Something interesting and mysterious and suspenseful has to be happening in terms of this narrative. I mean, you could write a romance story in that format, too. I think it can be kind of interesting. Um, I think you could do some things in that format that are like you could almost do like a um, to the moon in a, in a live scream kind of format, uh, which would be fun. But um, but I went with horror because I, I just find it fun. And um, most yeah. of my favorite movies are horror, film, horror films. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I you're not going to get any argument from me. I, I I'm um someone who loves, like I said, both horror video games and horror video games. Uh, you know, you pointed out my, the the Fatal Frame poster behind me. Yes. Which, <laughs> um, which uh, I I love when people have played that game because it's one of my favorite games of all time. But I think what's so refreshing about about live scream is that not only does it, you know, yes, it gets video games, but it also gets horror. And even though I know that it's not a, it's not a very, um, it's not a gory film. It's not a very uh, gratuitous film, but I think that if you're watching it at a certain time of night in, and all your lights are off, just like any good creepypasta, it still gets to you because it's the idea of what's happening rather than exactly what's happening. If that makes any sense, like yeah. the idea that this is going on right now, it kind of sticks with you. It's not something that's necessarily going to be terrifying you the entire film, but it does sit with you so that when you're thinking about it in the dead of night, you're like, oh, man, that would be. That would be I mean, the, 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 mystery, the mystery is a huge part of, of, of really a lot of good horror things are not necessarily mystery, but the 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 lack of an explanation. You know, if you over explain something that just makes it inherently less interesting for a lot of fictional works. And I think there's, there's definitely something to that. Yeah. I think it was um, kind of a balance when writing live screamers as well, because the original live scream doesn't do much to sort of explain or over explain what's happening. Um, You kind of get the stakes. You get the general premise of game saying, Hey, if you walk away or call the police or quit playing, I'll kill you. Um, so you, you understand like what the, what the stakes are. Uh, you kind of get a little bit of inference about like what the game is, but, or where it came from, but not really. I mean, the, the origins are pretty mysterious. You kind of get the confirmation that like, this probably isn't a person. You kind of get confirmation that it, that it's supernatural in some way, that it's not some, you know, person who designed like a virus or anything like that. Um, but uh, well, the, the dark web, which you make a joke about in the film. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it, it, you know, it, it is something supernatural, but that's kind of all you get. Um, and in the live screamers, I wanted to expand upon the lore a little bit more, but I didn't want to grind the entire movie to a halt and be like, hey, guys, I'm going to explain everything that's happening. And yeah. it, like, I just it's it's there because there's kind of no way to do it without being super lame because it's like it's a haunted haunted video game there's only so many ways we could go about this is it really lame so it's 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 like in the resident evil way yeah it's like in the resident evil games i love the resident evil games uh at least some of them uh but the game is inherently less interesting when you get to the lab underneath the mansion or when you get to the lab underneath the city or when you get to the lab underneath the subway or the lab underneath the white house. I don't, that was resident evil six. I don't remember a lot of what happened in that game, except the president was involved. Um, but uh, I, I, only- I can attest to this <laughs> because we, we did resident evil six for this podcast and co did a co-op mode during a, during the final boss, drew fell asleep. <laughs> I was, I was trying to do something. And I was like, drew, drew, drew. This was the middle of the day. This was not <laughs> late at night. Andrew fell asleep. <laughs> I, I do have to say we did still, despite me falling asleep in the final boss fight, 
defeat the final boss without having to continue. I mean, it was a Resident Evil 6 boss. It, it the, <laughs> the two games that actually successfully managed to do this okay were Outlast, um, because mm-hmm. the ending is so weird compared yeah. to the rest of the already weird circumstances that you're that you're doing. And so and I felt I felt like the explanation like was earned and and was interesting uh and then the other one is probably is it silent hill 2 where you you walk into the little control room and it's a a shiba inu with that that is a that's a special ending in silent hill 2 i want to say the best ending i want to say there's a dog ending in silent hill 1 as well or is that an Mm -hmm. alien no it's aliens yeah Um, it's aliens no uh I, th- I think the the phrase was it was you all along or something like that is what James says to the dog. And then yeah. it ends with the Silent Hill theme in dog barks. It is <laughs> one of the most beautiful endings in horror gaming history. I love it so much. Uh, since Silent Hill has come up and, I, and, and Miles is going to get annoyed because I bring this up every time Silent Hill comes up. I love that. Uh, and, and our listeners have heard this story before, too, but it doesn't matter because I love it so much. Uh, the the designers of the original Silent Hill game, the on the PlayStation oh. one um, modeled all of the stuff in the game based on what they could find. And what they could find was the movie Kindergarten Cop. The oh. school, the school in the game is modeled directly after Kindergarten Cop's school to the where the school bus placement is. There is a bulletin board both in the real world and mm-hmm. the evil dimension that is <laughs> based uh, like uh, like they copy and by poster. Like the, the posters and everything. It is wild uh, to to think about that. And um, yeah, I don't know why I love that so much. It's just such a weird thing to be associated with Silent Hill because Silent Hill is such a weird, <laughs> creepy atmosphere and 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 kindergarten cop is Arnold Schwarzenegger talking to, to, to elementary school kids. Well, we, we, we detoured off what was a great segue by Michelle into your, your current project, which is crowdfunding now on Indiegogo live streamers. So live stream comes out and uh, I mean, I'm kind of curious what, you know, you, you were just talking about how you don't want to overexplain stuff. So what drives you to make a sequel? Do you have more to say with the format? Because, I mean, there's plenty to say about gaming culture. So I, I was kind of curious if, if that was the driving force or did you did you have something like with the mythology that like, oh, I can I can build this and I have something more to say with th- this specific story? Um, I would say the world and the lore was definitely not the driving force. Uh, the driving force for any movie that I decide to tell, particularly a feature, always has to do with what is the movie really about? <laughs> um, and, and what is the movie really accomplishing and what audience is it serving? And why is it a movie that needs to be made? Why is it a movie that I need to exist? Because apparently it doesn't already exist. And in the case of, you know, Detroit Evolution, it was like the the live action, you know, slash fan fiction thing 
didn't really exist in the scale and scope and production quality that we wanted it to. And also, like, read 900, these characters never meet in the game. This ship is entirely fabricated by the fandom. So all these people ship read 900, but they have no content. They have no scenes to make, you know, video edits with. They have no pictures to, you know, make drawings on. And so we really served an audience very well there by, by, creating scenes and creating a story and giving, you know, these characters a live action, you know, portrayal. And in the case of live scream, it was, I wanted to explain to people in a sense why people watch other people play video games. Um, that was kind of the driving theme of that film because I felt like this was this new thing at the time, this new phenomenon that had been around for four or five years. So it had stuck in culture, an entire generation and now two generations really, have made this one of their primary forms of entertainment and like no one over the age of 35 at the time like understood it they're like why didn't you just play the game yourself and it's like because it's not about the game it's about the guy and <laughs> i like the guy and you know wanna like i like the community that's built around the guy and you know all this sort of stuff so that was what live stream is about was this sort of reverence of the community that builds around streamers, the relationship that streamers have to their fans, how streamers transform the medium of video games into a performance art and why people enjoy watching that performance art. And a lot of people watched live stream and they finally got it. They finally understood oh, this is why my 14-year-old won't stop watching YouTube. Like, this is why my <laughs> kids won't stop watching Twitch. I understand now because I, I see that there is, like, this meta-narrative. I see that there's this relationship that you're forming with the person on screen because, it, you know, he's breaking the fourth wall to, like, talk to the audience. Uh, it was always fun on live stream screenings when I'd be in a room of 50 people and, um, you know, live stream does break the fourth wall because it's, it's like a stream. And, you know, Scott Atkins and is, is talking, you know, to his camera, directly to his webcam, out to the audience. And um, I would be in screenings and people would talk back <laughs> and people would cheer and people would yell things like 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 he could hear them. And it's because people just turn off that part of their brain that makes them forget that, like, this is a movie. This isn't actually a lot. He can't hear you. But it's like this, this primal instinct to interact and engage uh, with somebody who's talking to you. And so that was what Livescream was about. And um, I knew that I wanted to make a sequel in 2018, right after the film came out. I knew that it was going to be called Livescreamers. I knew that I wanted to take it and make it multiplayer because that seemed like kind of a way to level up the concept and do something different while also um, still honoring the format. Also, it would allow me to kind of get rid of the stream chat, so not as much reading, which some people complain about. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, we're just we're just going to this this multiplayer on screen ensemble. So, like, you have actual human beings, like an ensemble of people talking to each other. So you don't you don't need the chat. Um, and I sat on it for a couple of years because even though I outlined live screamers in 2018. I, and I knew I was like, I want to make it about the, like the relationships like between streamers instead of like the audience and the streamer make it relationship about like gamers and each other and nothing to say about it. <laughs> I wrote this whole outline, lots of cool kills, lots of cool game homages, hollow movie, like like said nothing, just left you at the end with like, well. Just watched a bunch of people die and it was fun. And but it's not as good as the first one because the first one actually had heart and had something to say ah, and had the, meaning. The scourge of of the sequel. <laughs> yes. And it's like this is a soulless sequel that doesn't 
capture like like mechanically it levels up like the production value and the concepts of like the gameplay and stuff it levels up from the first movie but the script wasn't elevated from the first film and so like i said i went off and i made some some detroit fan films for a couple years and before i knew it I was streaming gaming on Twitch and I was streaming all sorts of things on Twitch. And I mean, my most popular Twitch stream at one point, uh, which was was after Detroit Evolution came out and we were doing like cast commentary streams and stuff. I was having 500 concurrent viewers at one point, which was utterly wild. <laughs> um, nowhere near that now. I mean, I, I average about, you know, 50 to 100, which is still quite a lot. Oh, that's, that's um, way better than any stream I've ever done. <laughs> um, and, so, and so I actually have an audience now that pays attention to my films, that pays attention to my streams, that also pays attention somewhat to my personal life and my personal relationships, that also pays attention to me as a human. Um, and I have felt this this dichotomy now of being on the other side of the table in a way that I wasn't in the first live scream where I was only an audience member and I was only a community person. I was only a spectator of the medium and I was writing from the position of the audience live screamers. I'm now writing from the position of the content creator. And so, uh, it was around summer 2020 that I, I was complaining to my spouse and I was complaining to my friends about like a myriad of things that I was dealing with, you know, being a Twitch streamer and being a YouTuber and, and dealing with both the interpersonal relationships with other people that I'd worked with and also the relationship um, at that point with, with, you know, some fans who had like crossed boundaries and like I had had negative experiences with. And it was just like, I, I was just this like, post-traumatic mess essentially and um finally it just clicked i was like this is all the stuff that live screamers should be about <laughs> um and so uh and so it started to, to take shape and um i ended up with nine characters and you know nine subplots in addition to like a main plot of like we're going into the haunted house and then the haunted house is going to kill us and um instead of you know off-screen kills like the first film you have on-screen kills because you have webcams for every person in the film so it's a lot gorier it's a lot bloodier it's a lot more suspenseful the stakes are even higher um all the characters can like see each other die like in the room with them too so it's a lot more traumatic for the actual characters in the film uh, and every character is an example of somebody who has been damaged um by being a content creator somebody who has become something terrible because they've needed to survive as a content creator it's it's just about like the negative things that this job field like does to people and like what it turns them into both as fans and as creators too. So, um, it's quite a, quite a brutal film. Uh, it is, it is, I, I've, I've said this, uh, somewhere else where like, if E.T. was the suburban dream and Poltergeist was the suburban nightmare, uh, Live Scream was the content creator dream and Live Screamers is the content creator nightmare because it's <laughs> it totally flips the idealism, you know, on its head and actually shows like, actually, this environment and this dichotomy and all these parasocial relationships and things are are kind of bad <laughs> and it, kind it, of damage you over time. It, it is so interesting to, to hear you talk about it so openly like that, because I, I, you know, I, I'm a parent and my kids are, are relatively young. Uh, 
at the time we're recording, which I always say, because I assume that people will listen to this 10 and 20 years in the future. <laughs> uh, my 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 kids are 10 and 7. And so they are obsessed with YouTubers. They are uh, they watch all of these Minecraft YouTubers and Roblox YouTubers. They don't even play Roblox because I don't let them play Roblox because I'm not super. I don't know what Roblox is because I'm old. <laughs> I'm it's so it's old. child child minecraft it's yes. like minecraft for five-year-olds it, well it, you know it's you say that but it is actually a development platform for games within games that has existed since the mid 90s roblox has what? been around for a very long time i thought roblox was like a lego ripoff uh, you think that but it was a development platform that i just existed said i thought that, that. got spun into <laughs> it um but but the 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 weird thing about it and and I will I, you know I'm going to I'm going to get a little real here just because this is an interesting conversation to talk cuz cuz I've never I I I I've never personally got into a lot of Twitch streams or a lot of of, of things like that just because you know I am one of those people who was older than 35 in 2018 when the movie came out and <laughs> You know, despite the fact that even in 2018, I had played games on Twitch. I had streamed myself on Twitch. Uh, but I, I just I think about uh, my my, you know, me as, you know, uh, a mid 30 something white dude. And I have a particular experience. And, you know, listeners who listen to the other show that Miles and I do, Cosmic Crit, will know that my wife is a part of that show. And. We had only been doing that show for for a relatively short amount of time. It had gained a lot of popularity and we had put out some merchandise and a picture uh, of my, my wife posed for a picture in one of our T-shirts. And one of the first comments on it was. Awful. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where like you, you that that is just such a different part of the experience as someone who creates content and and someone who especially someone who creates content that's personal like it's one thing for a a, a celebrity and, and I'm, I'm, I, I say this in one thing I don't think this is good what I'm saying but like it's one <laughs> thing for a celebrity to be objectified because of something that they do in a movie because they're probably never going to see it and also there's 19 gatekeepers between you and them so they but, can afford the security <laughs> sure but not only that it's also a character and I don't want to say that I don't want to say that certain because obviously certain streamers have characters that they put on. And I think that's a huge part of of a lot of streamers that have success is that they they build up a, a persona that that has stuff that that comes around them. But but when you're doing stuff like this, whether it's YouTube or or uh, or and, and again, also, YouTube has a lot of fictional stuff, but 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 content creation like podcasting, like 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 streaming. There's so much of yourself that you put into that that can be so fulfilling and rewarding in one way, but so dark and weird in another way. And that and, and I had not quite put a, a, a label on that or, or put put that together until we had this conversation tonight. One of one of my biggest like pet peeves about the concept of like quote unquote content creation, which I already like kind of hate that term anyway, because it's like I'm a <laughs> filmmaker. I'm not a content creator. Well, like right. my my art and my films are not content. And I 
I hate when people like leave me Instagram comments like, oh, yay, more content. And it's just like, oh, for you to chew up, spit out and then like want more of like immediately because that's (laughs) not the purpose of this. Um, The biggest problem with it is so many people are encouraged to make themselves the product. And that is so dangerous and toxic because there is, and and fans expect this too. And I have seen like a marked difference between people who have absolutely no boundaries with their audience who will tell their audience like, Oh my God, I love you guys. Like you guys are my family. I wouldn't be able to live without you guys. Just like really gushing and love bombing their audience. Um, whether it's true or not, it might be true in some circumstances, but at the same time, if it's true, it's just like, you also need like IRL friends and family and a support system that is not your audience. Like keep your audience and your friends separate, in my opinion. Um, and and like they'll there's there's entire platforms now that are basically like Patreon where people can pay for you to to tweet personal stuff and like pictures of yourself and just like selfies and like like tweets that you wouldn't put on main. And it's like, no, nobody's going to get access to my, my hot takes about things. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm not, int- I'm, I'm especially not going to monetize that because I'm not the product and I refuse to be. And that's, that's what a lot of lives groomers is about is like, what happens when you are, what are the consequences? Like to you mentally, what are the consequences to your audience? What are the consequences to your, you, you know, your mental health, your, your career, your friendships, when you are the product and what do you have to become and what do you have to deal with? And ultimately like the, the conclusion is like, it's super traumatic. And like, I don't know how people get around it. Otherwise I really, I, like, I think people suck it up and they deal with it because they want to go farther um, sometimes it's desperation. Sometimes it's because you have bills to pay. Um, but I think a lot of people just really want to be successful as Twitch streamers or YouTubers and stuff. And so they just sort of accept that like people are going to objectify them or people are going to be weird or people are going to be cruel or that people are going to be. Um, I mean, there's there's things that I've seen that that, that are so wild that I literally couldn't even fathom them before they happened. Um, <laughs> like there, there, there's entire, like, like, like sub problems that I've, I've had that are like recurring that, that I, I, we have a whole discord server that miles is actually in. And, um, there's, there's, we have a rules list that is like mm-hmm. 2000 words long or something. When we first started the server three years ago, we had like three rules and it was like, don't be a bigot. Don't be a dick. And like, don't post porn. Like, like those are like the three rules. And then over the last three years, our rules have just (laughs) grown because every single thing is something somebody did that was inappropriate. That was cruel. That was, you know, problematic. That was boundary crossing. It's like, it's like when you see a, a, a random, please do not do this very specific weird very thing specific on like thing. A, a, yes. in a public place like on a monorail to a theme park or something it's because someone's done that thing Don't someone that did thing. the thing absolutely and, and that's i mean that is definitely something about being a a human being in public online that is i think i don't i don't know if a lot of movies have 
gone into it super, super well. I know that they've I've seen some ones about teenagers, how they interact with the Internet. I thought Bo Burnham's eighth grade did a really good job of showing how I'm a I'm a huge Bo Burnham fan. I would say live streamers is probably the the biggest non horror source material for live screamers is probably Bo Burnham's comedy specials, particularly Make Happy, which is all about his relationship with fame. Yeah, and I, I I love that. And I think what's what's so interesting is that while, yes, you had a couple of people do it, I don't think anyone has done it on the scale that Live Screamers is trying to do it, and especially as a horror film. So it's like taking off all the boxes for me. But I mean, I, I mean, I've followed you on Twitter for several years now since we met. And I, re- I remember you having to either tweet or retweet, like not cease and desist type things, but like, hey, don't do these things. Don't come into our space. Or I think once stop writing fan fiction about my actors, like their actual, the, the actual actors. <laughs> didn't somebody like try to call somebody's workplace? Yeah, that's happened before. Um, somebody uh, that was one of my actors, actually. Um, somebody called his workplace asking for his phone number. That's just- um. Yeah, I mean, and, and there have there have been plenty of movies about uh, unhealthy obsessions and, and stalking and stuff like that. But I think that it's interesting to come from the angle of, you know, the content creator who feels this this drive to do this thing, despite the toll it takes on their their persona, their mental health, their entire lives. And because and I think I think that's what's so cool to me, because live scream is this kind of love letter to streaming whereas from from what you're telling us live streamers is like okay here is the other side of the coin here is the all the creepy crawlies under the rock and (laughs) and i think it's important to do that because you you can have both conversations both things can be true Mm -hmm. something can be good and rewarding for somebody but it can also be a really toxic thing and i think it's a really important conversation to kickstart the addiction to attention is a is a big uh a big factor, I think. Uh, Well, I would say that, you know, what you mentioned before about like when people try to do it, it sounds very like try hard or cynical. That also not just applies to video games, but also applies to anyone ever trying to make a movie about the internet. Like anybody ever trying to make a movie about like quote unquote influencers or YouTubers is with such cynicism and with such just fake, like basically the characters they write are just vapid people who just are on their phones the whole movie and are filming themselves on Instagram and like, Mm -hmm. like, like such as like the whole time. And it's like, no, actually, it's more like this. It's a job. Um, it comes with a lot of um, positives, and it also comes with a lot of negatives. And while Live Screamers definitely focuses on the more like scary, toxic, horrific parts, um, I one thing I wanted to do was to come at it with the authenticity of actually content creators are not one-note influencer, vapid millennials. Um, they are interesting people who have both good and bad traits. And um, I think that the whole point with live screamers in this cast is like, while every character is flawed and every character should not be put on a pedestal, every character is also in some capacity sympathetic or likable. And that was important to strike that balance. I am so happy you said that because I, I said this to uh, to Krista not too long ago, watching a, a movie 
and that I was even though I love I grew up loving 80s slashers because they're fun. They're they're stupid little funhouse uh, fairground rides. But the the trait that perpetuated through the 90s and the 2000s is when you make a slasher, you have an archetype of kids. Every kid is a stereotype of a certain type of kid. And five out of six of them are unlikable. Yep. And so, so that you so that you don't feel bad when these people die. And I feel like, mm-hmm. well, that's that's not really progressing horror, because I think you should care about what happens to these characters. And I, it's so nice to hear that, like, yes, some of these people might be garbage pail kids, but they're still sympathetic. And yeah. like, I really appreciate that because I, I can't remember what I was just watching. Um we were started watching a discovery witches but there's a character who is basically a bad guy and i don't think in the novel even has the characterization in the show but they give this this background that makes them somewhat three-dimensional and sympathetic and and that way you're just like not looking waiting for the like the good guys to just like you know give the comeuppance and kill them and i i really appreciate that because nothing is more boring than waiting for the masked killer to kill off kid number three you know there's no tension i don't care you know it's fun but i don't care and so i think it's really important that you made the decision to make them all sympathetic and at the same time in those old movies it wasn't the tension the tension wasn't you know is this person gonna die it was oh boom there's there's that the reliance on on the jump scare and not the psychological horror of the the whole piece well and with slashers in particular is how are they going to die? What mm-hmm. what mousetrap thing are we going to come up with next to outdo ourselves? Like, what is what is Michael Myers going to put forth on this on this teenager <laughs> that he hasn't before? It's almost like a showcase of the different gore effects and, you know, creative killings. And, and that's kind of why people are invested. But I do think it's a very modern perspective to create characters that you don't necessarily want to lose. I mean, my, my favorite horror series is Harper's Island. And one of the reasons I love that series is because that show was not afraid to kill off its entire cast, even the ones you liked. Yeah. I love that you bring up Harper's Island because I haven't thought about the show in in years, but I do feel like that there's that kind of aspect of certain horror shows that only last one or two seasons that stick with fans forever. And I I love that because I feel like every single time I talk to another horror fan about horror television, it's always a different answer. I mean, some people love The River or Point Pleasant, Never all these wild studio shows that happened just for one season. Oh my God, Point and Pleasant, that was pre-Harper's Island, actually stars um, Cameron, uh, forgetting her last name, but she she played uh, Chloe in Harper's Island. <laughs> <laughs> so she was in that before. Um, so I, I actually think they might have shot Point Pleasant here, which is why I kind of know about it. Oh, maybe they did. Did they... Is- isn't there a Point Pleasant, South Carolina? <laughs> it's Mount Pleasant. Oh, it's Mount Pleasant. It's, Mount Mount Pleasant. Pleasant. it's, it's different, as a, as a which South is in the Carolina, same area. So as a South Carolina um, native, I feel, I like feel uh, in- horrible, horrible that I that I messed up the, the geography. Yeah, if there was a Mount state. Pleasant horror, it would be just like some sort of bougie murder in a Whole Foods. Oh, yeah, it, it, would, be, it, would, be, it would be the first Purge movie, basically. Oh, yes, it would. It would actually be the first. <laughs> so, uh, that, that is, that is a, a South Carolina D cut for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> is it? I'm, I'm so, from South Carolina. I don't get the cut. I don't get the cut. You've been in the Charleston area, though. Yeah, that's true. 
but I don't, I've never seen the Purge movies because again, I'm scared. Um, I do, I, I do have to, I, I, because I, I need to ask the the stereotypical interview questions. We've we've oh, gotten boy, real yeah. deep on stuff, <laughs> and now I got to get to the surface level. Just skim that surface. I we swear have, to Christ, if you ask about a Marvel movie, I'm gonna throttle you oh this no. is the thing you ask all directors nowadays <laughs> yeah, is, yeah exactly you like the no. No, it has nothing to do with marvel movies unless they randomly come up i mean uh uh so snyder cut no i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go viral why not yeah. uh, <laughs> so so I, I i do have to ask a couple of questions and i'm gonna ask the horror stuff first miles don't worry for oh, for you know, for folks who who are interested in in sort of your the sources of your style, when it comes to the, the what you would consider like some some of your biggest influences in the horror universe, where might those influences lie? Ooh. Well, I really like slasher films and I really like meta. So Scream is one of my favorite films, um, one of my favorite horror films. And uh, Cabin in the Woods is another one that's kind of in that same vein, but a little bit more modern. I've seen both of those. Miles, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? um so so yeah i really like the slasher format i really like um i really like who's the killer like is a really is a really cool question to open a movie with and um i would also say other movies that are like that um i love the invitation i love the invitation because it's a bottle it's a bottle film but you're you're just left asking like what the heck is going on like the whole movie it's great three minutes are insane like the last three minutes feel like oh this should be the movie right this is this is all the introduction for the movie there's another hour right nope roll credits what a a great great setup i i I love the invitation and uh speaking of karen kusama (laughs) (laughs) you should watch the invitation it's not that scary it's it's very i think um, you'd like it it's it's just very like mysterious it's very much like yeah. you just you just ask yourself the whole movie what is happening and then you get the answer and it's like oh okay um and karen kusama directed that and karen kusama also directed one of my other favorite horror films that um i don't know if it shows up in my well actually it shows up in my work a little bit i think her her jennifer's body shows up a little bit in like my seven deadly scents and uh my fame fatale uh which are kind of like my horror comedies my dark comedies a little bit um i kind of have that sort of sense of humor where it's just like turning the camera slightly to the left showing somebody <laughs> side-eyeing and then panning back like, um it's it, I, I, I love that that movie has been reappraised because it was so unfairly uh, just maligned when it came out. I've been the- fighting for that movie since day one because I saw it in theaters when I was 17 with my best girlfriend. I was the perfect target audience and we walked out of that loving it because it was like, I, I mean, yeah, picture two 17 year olds in 2008 going to see Jennifer's body together as BFF. Like, yes, of course, that movie was made for us. So we, we very much enjoyed it. I, I am also glad that it has got been reappraised because I've been watching it every year for a decade. Um, and so I, I love that film. I, I think that it's got excellent comic timing that I aspire to match. Um, and actually, I would even say Livescream. I mean, and Livescream is even uh, 
they have their their moments of humor. I think it's um, somebody oh, yeah, actually cla- classified live scream as a bit of a horror comedy. And I was like, well, no, I don't think comedy is central to the horror, which would make it not a horror comedy um, versus something there's like that. But there's humor in it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot less humor in live screamers. Um or maybe it's just darker. <laughs> maybe it's just bleaker humor and it's not quite so goofy as uh, right. as, as the first film. Um, and also, I would say that I, I think if there's going to be humor in live screamers, it's going to come down to the actors. Uh, we have our first table read tomorrow night, which I'm really excited about, which will be our first actual read through the script with everybody. So I'll really get to see how this dialogue plays, how these characters interact with each other. I mean, you've got 81 different relationships going on in this group of nine people so um how they decide to make some of those a little sarcastic or a little ironic or a little bit funny um will be will be really interesting um so i think it's going to come out with that but i i i don't think i ever want to make a movie that's like humorless because i i don't want to ever make a movie that's bleak or nihilistic. I think that even though live screamers is very dark and deals with some both fictional and real life topics that are are depressing and traumatic. Um, ultimately, the th- it gives you a thesis at the end that is an actionable answer and isn't just like everything sucks and everybody dies and everything's pointless. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's 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 more just like hey. This is a cautionary tale, but what mm-hmm. you shouldn't do, but the answer was there, and maybe what you should walk away from the movie with is this answer that you can take forward in your own life, and maybe you can do better than the characters did. So there's a little bit of hope in the, in that. I, I love that you said that because one trend that I've, I've gotten tired of in a, in a genre that I love so much is that every ending just has to be so dour. Mm-hmm. Either that or like the movie comes to its natural conclusion, but gotta gotta leave it open for a sequel or something. So there's yeah. that last little stinger, and or the dreaded more post-credit times, sequence, eyes opening even, or hand not twitching. even that. <laughs> I mean, there there are a few mo- films recently that have done that kind of thing that I think exact successfully. I mean, I I appreciate the ending of It Follows that was just ambiguous. It wasn't a gotcha ending, but. I mean, I'm, try- I'm trying to get something off the top of my head and, and failing, but just any any studio supernatural film in the last decade. I mean, Hereditary was extremely dour. Uh, any of yeah. Ari Aster's films end extremely well, dour. Yeah, you you and I share share a, a mutual dislike. Um, although I will say, it dis- even though I've disliked both of his movies, I'm always interested to see what he does because at least he's making movies that seem interesting conceptually. Yeah. Um, even though they always, I, I, my friends think he walks on water. I mean, you know, one of them, um, I'm not one of those friends because knew you were not, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking smack on my friend either because I, she will give it right back to me. Um, but yeah, there have been several films that aren't just dour, but that they, they end a certain way where it's, it's that gotcha ending. It, it's basically mm-hmm. the reverse of the scream ending. Where Ski Roach pops up, Nev Campbell shoots him in the head in the head and says, Not in my movie. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, so many people have ignored that that ending 20 years later. I mean, that movie, I to me, I love that you brought up Scream because that movie's still relevant. Had a blast with the new one, but like it's it's still 
something that I feel like people can learn from in terms of filmmaking. Yeah, I, I think that there needs to be this relationship. There's a, like a social contract with the audience and you promise them something and you don't have to deliver it in the way that they might want or expect. Um, and I do think that there's there's kind of this like game theory kind of like culture now that kind of hurts movies where, you know, mm -hmm. people go in with all their fan theories and then they're disappointed and they think the movie's terrible when the fan theories don't come true, which is a whole other issue. And I do think that's problematic. <laughs> but I think that if a movie says, you know, this is what I'm trying to accomplish just broadly, and then they try to like pull the rug out in the end and they're just like, ha, you cared, you idiot. And it's like, no, that's not the, like, like trying to like give the audience the finger isn't necessarily the, the right answer. The, the one exception to this is the Matrix Resurrections. I think what I Lana Wachowski did with that. That is the one opportunity where I will say, you know what? <laughs> Telling the audience to go fuck themselves was like great. Um, <laughs> because, I agree. because again, it wasn't like it wasn't like she was saying it to the people literally watching the movie and trying to enjoy the movie she was trying to make. It was the people who were going to come in and like wanted it their way or thought that like it belonged to them. And she's just like, no, it belongs to me. And, and you're going to like what I do. <laughs> and I was literally saying it to Warner Brothers in the yes. movie. In I, love the script. I love it so much. I love that movie. I, I mean, great time with that movie. Say, saying to business daddy, like, um, you don't get the matrix was like that. I mean, we can all applaud that. It's, it's so God -tier. And, it's God -tier. and then naming the brand new character bugs, like, <laughs> yes. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, there are opportunities for you to be, to not give the audience what they're asking for, right? But you still need to satisfy some the, the audience that you're making the movie for. Um, right. It's a weird dichotomy to walk. It's a, it's a it's a it's it's tough to articulate. But I think that there is a difference between saying I am making this movie for myself and this is what I want to accomplish with the film and this is how I want to satisfy other people like me who want this out of the movie and want this out of a movie. Um, and if, if you know, no movie is for everybody. And if some people don't get it, that's fine. Uh, this movie's not for them. Um, while also not just being like, I don't want my movie to be liked by anybody and I don't want anybody to get anything out of it. And I just want everybody to be depressed at the end. And it's like, okay, sure. Like I, I just don't really know what, why those movies get made honestly because i just like why would you spend so many years of your life just to say what you can say in a tweet i mean <laughs> you know i i think there I, I do think that there is something to that and 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 i i, I uh, associate that with my own form of comedy and that i tell a lot of really terrible jokes and i don't tell them because i think they're funny i tell them because i think that the reactions that i get from other people when i tell them are funny yes and that's for me that's for me that's only for me um but he does do that. I, I can I can absolutely <laughs> confirm as someone who talks to him every single day uh, and is often the victim of these jokes. Yes, I, uh, I, I guess like trolling an audience with the film is is an odd choice. Yeah, um, I mean, sure. I agree. I, I'm not a filmmaker, so I can't say I, I haven't done that necessarily. I guess I have and, done 10 years of podcasting that could be considered trolling an audience, uh, but it's an audience of tens of people. So it's fine. 
I do think live screamers, uh, some people might associate it as kind of trolling the audience in a, in a sense. But for me, it's it's mostly just I'm not trying to. To give an audience. You know, nothing I'm what I'm trying to do is tell an audience what they need to hear and not necessarily what they want to hear. Well, and. and and there's also the, knowing, there is a little yeah. bit of a difference. Yes, <laughs> but there's there also, absolutely is. There's also knowing an audience, and that is one of yeah. the, the that's a, that's a very fine line when it comes to things. And I and and I, I know this is such a such a nerdy thing to say, but I think about a show like Star Trek Lower Decks, of which I mm-hmm. adore as a huge Star Trek fan, because that show and the creators of that show know exactly what to make fun of in both the show and the fandom for that to be appreciated. Mm. And that's just a very fine line that they, that they skirt. And, and it's so excellent in a lot of ways. And, and I love galaxy quest as well. Galaxy uh, quest they, is, is they did a great job galaxy quest. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, for sure to for this sure. day, I still yell, never give up, never surrender. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the um, movies. I think that, it's another one that's been has been reappraised and because it was a cult hit. It was not the big hit that I thought it was, because that's the wild thing is growing up in in certain times and then looking back on movies that you thought were a big deal or movies that certainly had an impact. And surely this movie must have been a blockbuster. And then finding out all the movies that you love dearly are like, no, no, no one. No one to this day no cares about Surf Ninjas but this. me. <laughs> I actually I saw Galaxy Quest in theaters um, and I must have been, you know, seven. But um, oh, so I God. had no I had no awareness. I turned 30 this week. I don't want to know how old you are. <laughs> see, see, this, this gray, this gray in this beard. I turned 30 I know, this I week. I 20 year olds with gray hair, Drew. That's not saying anything. <laughs> like, oh, I, I would have turned into Bane like, oh, you've merely adopted being in your 30s. I was born in it. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, you, you, you've been 30 since you were 15, to be honest, <laughs> Drew. <laughs> you didn't know me then, but you're not wrong. Um, I, I was close enough. We met in college. <laughs> uh, so, so to round out this episode, because we are getting a little a little late in in the the evening i'm gonna round it out with the softballs uh the (laughs) the the the, uh, so i can sleep at night questions and we have talked about movies we've talked about horror specifically but but uh, a lot of your work is sourced behind video games and i love video games i have video games surrounding me all the time you got dinklebot behind you oh yes right Uh, that wizard came from the moon uh I I do have to ask because we've talked about you have mentioned cyberpunk you have mentioned Detroit. Uh, what are some of your video game influences? What are some of your favorite games of all time? And yes, I will like a a an audience member on a Twitch stream be judging you on your answers. Well, they're all over the place, so you're gonna hate some and love some. Hopefully, um, I would say my favorite game of all time has got to be Fallout Four. I mean, I've, it's the game I've put the most time into, probably 500 hours. And um, I do have a Fallout 4 project that I've been laboring on for like six years. <laughs> well, okay. hopefully you like it. You like it so much. That you're making a movie or <laughs> show. 
a 10 episode series it's going to be 300 <laughs> minutes long i've recorded <laughs> half of the dialogue so far 35 <laughs> member cast it's a massive output um and hopefully will be coming to my youtube channel in the fall um god willing <laughs> um so so i love fallout 4 because i love the characters i love the companion quests i love the people in it um and i know that there's a lot of criticisms of fallout 4 from people who like the original game or Fallout Three, um, which you know, whatever. If you like, if if that if that's your your you, deal, I can see why you don't like. You, four. Did, you didn't mention New Vegas, which is already minus fifty points to a lot of people. I've uh, tried <laughs> to play New Vegas, and I find that it just doesn't fit my oh, play no, you're style. You're gonna get us canceled. You're gonna get us canceled yeah. for saying that. Yeah, and it's just it's it's a little bit of an older game, and it's just it, it's 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 harder for me to get into. Um, very buggy. I, it's well, it's less buggy than the Bethesda games. I'll give it that. Uh, Obsidian, Obsidian, props to Obsidian for not making a buggy mess like Bethesda did. Um, so I'll hopefully get some points back. Um, so uh, I, but I do just I really like the aesthetic of Fallout. Uh, just the whole universe is great. Um, the music, the aesthetic, um, the the lore of it is really cool. Um, I love the vault lore. Um, and yeah, I just I like I like the people and the characters of that world which um if if there was like a fallout 3 or new vegas remaster i would play it in a heartbeat i um, would not be surprised if that wasn't in microsoft's plans uh for coming up in the next three years <laughs> i really hope so they've been like hinting at it for a while i would love to I, like i would if they did three or new vegas like in the engine of four and like with the graphics and stuff i think i would enjoy them a lot because actually a lot of four is just repurposed quest from three i mean from what i've played of three it's really similar from a story standpoint and from a quest standpoint it's just the graphics are like they look like mud very much different uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, and the shooting is goddamn awful i'll just go put that out there everybody's yes, gonna yes. agree with that uh, i am um, i am super excited uh, I, I think it was just announced last week the fallout amazon prime series that's coming oh that's been that's been around for a while uh well, they've been working on that with the westworld creators i hope to beat them with my 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 fallout series but the uh, jury's they're out they're still just casting I, so i think i think you're all right uh, well <laughs> i will say they're still casting but they have cast Walton Goggins as a, a yeah. ghoul character, which is pretty choice. <laughs> did they actually cast him as a ghoul, or did people just yes. assume no, that? That was he is officially cast as a ghoul for that show. Well, that's good casting, I guess. <laughs> um, some of my other favorite games, uh, Tales from the Borderlands. I don't like the actual Borderlands games because I'm not good enough at co-op FPS. Um, mm -hmm. but Tales from the Borderlands allows you to play in that world with a really great storyline and characters and aesthetic um, without having to deal with all the like gameplay of Borderlands. <laughs> um, so uh, I love that one. Uh, I really love Nier Automata. That should give me some nerd cred. Um, yeah. Nier Automata is fabulous. Absolutely amazing story. Yoko Toro is like less less weirdly sexist Hideo Kojima. Um, <laughs> although I do actually really like Hideo Kojima too, but Hideo Kojima has some strangely horny things in his games that just make me uncomfortable. Um, like, does she really need to breathe through her skin? And he'll look you in the eye and say with a straight face, no, she breathes through her skin. What do you mean it's sexy? And it's like, 
I can't tell if you legitimately <laughs> believe that or if you're just bullshitting me right now. This is the, um, this is, this is, the is, is <laughs> a, a, on his own little island. This is, this is genius the... guy, legitimately a genius, absolutely maverick game developer, but also like I like I want to shout out Yoko Toro because Yoko Toro, Yoko Toro does things that are kind of horny and kind of like a cute way where he's just like, oh, look at cute girl in cute dress fight robots. And if you try to look up her skirt, she'll swat the camera. Um, so I, I really do. I like Nier Automata for a lot of reasons. My favorite Quantic Dream game is actually not Detroit Become Human. It is Heavy Rain. I find Heavy Rain to be extremely charming uh, in all of its nonsense. I, I have never heard Heavy Rain described as extremely charming. <laughs> I, you know what? I haven't either. Um, and I'm, I'm, I was one who was pretty positive about my experience with Heavy Rain. Uh, in, in, well, there was the awkward sex scene. Um, that which is one? Which I one? guess. It, oh, well, I guess there's only the one. There's only the one yeah, in Heavy Rain. There's yeah. the one. Yeah. Just, to, just to let listeners know who haven't played Heavy Rain, this is the one about the guy investigating the serial killer. <laughs> The child murders, yes. The child but, murders. Um, origami killer? Origami killer. Yeah. Origami. Yeah. Or how do, how does Norman say how does Norman say oh, it? Gosh, or origami. <laughs> <laughs> the origami killer. <laughs> yes, they had um, a, a British guy doing a Boston accent, so he's just like, I gotta find the killer. <laughs> just the whole time. I love Leon Hawkins' performance. He's so I, handsome I, and so quirky. I, Makes the game for me. <laughs> I, I I agree. And although I gotta give Detroit props for Clancy Brown, because Clancy True. Brown is always phenomenal. Hank and Anderson is absolutely one of the highlights of uh, of, have, of of Detroit Become Human. I, th- I actually think Connor and Hank's entire arc is pretty great. It, it, all the detective stuff in Quantic yes. Dream Games is always really, really solid. And then it's just like David gets to a point where he gets to the script. And he's like, oh, I have to write stuff that's not detective. I don't know. <laughs> Magic and protests you know and they're working on a star wars the high republic game and i am i have no idea what that's gonna be like absolutely i, I mean i guess we're gonna figure out who the detectives in star wars are because is, <laughs> well it's funny that you mentioned that because in the High Republic, we already have at least two detectives. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Star Wars High Republic stuff. I uh, I, I have don't talk about it often because nobody's reading it but me. But it's fine because it's great. It's really, really great. I like it a lot. I mean, it's basically the Jedi. The Jedi are basically cops in Star Wars. So I mean, the peacekeepers, yeah. I, I, I mean, so I guess you're probably going to get like a Jedi Norman Jaden, like detective plot or something. And then you're also going to get a plot with a female protagonist where all she does is like get threatened with rape and murder the entire thing. Like that's going to be her plot because that's how that that's, always goes. That's a David Cage. But she <laughs> and then, has and then a you're gonna have lightsaber this time. <laughs> Maybe she'll have a lightsaber. <laughs> um, <there's laughs> oh no, she dropped it. Oh, there's, there's definitely going to be a level where she goes into like a creepy palace and with a really creepy dude and you know she's going to be asked to go to like the basement of the lair and you know I'm sorry you might it's, have the option I'm sorry we we call that in the Star Wars universe 
the Sith layer. I'm just the uh, si- she goes so, to the Sith to, layer. Sorry to give notes, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry spoilers for Quantic Dream Star Wars game, everybody. <laughs> but I mean, I I love how similar Heavy Rain and Detroit Become I, Human are, but there I, are entire chapters in Detroit Become Human that are just repurposed chapters of Heavy Rain. <laughs> I I could I could go without playing the the Kara chapter at the house. Um, oh yes because it's i mean it was one i I feel like i didn't play it until i think maybe until we talked and you mentioned you were making a fan film like you know what i never got around to playing that um i'm sure it didn't help in the slightest for my movies because my movies are about characters that are well no the movies hadn't hadn't come out yet because you were were just putting out uh live scream oh yeah but because i think I, i think i tweeted at you like you know i was always playing a little bit and but that entire sequence was just deeply uncomfortable. I actually looked up a playthrough because I was like, I don't want to know what happens if this goes wrong. Yeah. I don't want to experience that. That's one thing that I just I don't want to see. And so I was like, what? what? I, I looked up all the things. I'm like, OK, this is what I have to do in this time period. OK, cool. Because um, I my entire playthrough was to make sure that she was OK. That was my entire playthrough was making sure that Kara was OK. <laughs> I, I don't I don't need that kind of stress in my life. When in it was games. extremely stressful. <laughs> I need I need to I need to find out that princesses are in another castle. I need to find an item that will help me in the next in, to fight the boss of this dungeon and then go to another dungeon. And, oh, you know, <laughs> you, you ever realize you're old, <laughs> so old. <laughs> Um, so so um other than uh heavy rain did you have another one that you wanted to to bring up other another game i've been playing the heck out of cyberpunk 2077 warts and warts and all um which had a really controversial launch um obviously but um i had a ps5 at the time so even though it crashed every now and then uh i was (laughs) mostly okay um I I really quite like the story um, and I like the characters a lot in that one, too. I, I really have a fondness for games that um, have bruised knees <laughs> um, because I feel like that's kind of where the potential is, because, you know, it, it it's like a perfect game is great. And then you put it on the shelf and you might think of it fondly, but you have really no need to go back and ever play it again because it's like well i had my great experience everything was perfect narratives perfect never encountered any bugs and then you play a game like fallout 4 or heavy rain or 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 cyberpunk 2077 and you're just like wow look at all this potential (laughs) that they didn't do anything with and you just kind of get emotionally invested in a way that you don't get emotionally invested in perfect media (laughs) um and i think that that's really where a lot of fandom comes from is us just sort of coming together and saying like man how charming is this this goofy third head of Ghidorah right now like this this. (laughs) I, I bought cyberpunk at launch and then uh I did not get super into it and they offered refunds I was like you know what I'll come back to this when it's twenty dollars and I came back to it when it was $20 and uh, now that the, the PS5 patches out, it definitely seems to play a lot better, but there's also yeah. like 400 games that are out right now that I would, yeah. would like to play and get yeah, back I to. really have enjoyed the new patch because it definitely added some more content that I was 
hoping for some new features that I've been kind of hoping for too. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that was not the reason I got back into it. I wanted to just do a different playthrough of a different build, um, and just experience the game a little bit differently. Um, actually, um, my current character is based on Reese from tales from the borderlands. So he <laughs> is a electric baton melee, uh, technical ability hacker build. Uh, so that's a lot of fun versus my previous uh, guy who was more like stealth build. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and I, I just, I'd been a year since I played it. I played it at launch all the way through and did it, did a completionist run. Um, so yeah, I just went back to do a different build a year later and enjoying it and enjoying the new, the new patch. So I'll, I'll say that cyberpunk, you know, I, I, get the complaints i really do it is a buggy <laughs> mess but i also have so many fun ps4 shares of my motorcycles taking off into space or just being randomly <laughs> thrown by them or just like having vending machines fall out of the sky and hit me just wonderful stuff <laughs> i mean we've also entered a time where games warts and all still get loved i mean the the, yeah. the reappraisal that deadly premonition had which oh my gosh yeah like the twin peaks of games but also is a buggy mess and it's a weird game and i love that little wow cult games like this exist speaking of deadly premonition i bought that game when it got the switch release uh with the with the intention of potentially streaming playing that and i haven't done that it's been like two years i don't remember when that game came out on switch but uh maybe one day maybe one day i, I was that. thinking about getting the switch port as well because the pc port was apparently unplayable like it would crash it was so uh, bad so far i mean i i haven't played it in a little bit but uh i didn't have any problems with the switch port i didn't i didn't play it for a massive amount well, of time but if I you, a couple hours into somebody it. to stream it with you know let me know we'll uh we'll talk <laughs> I, I would stream it if I thought more than five people would show up, which I kind hey, of Drew is always trying to get me to stream something. Um, I, I and that's the the wild thing is I I I mean I've done we've done some streams for our other podcast like some actual role playing stuff and we've done uh, a couple little live presentations on Twitch, but I've I've never had the I think I would freeze up if I were consistently playing on Twitch. I, I don't know if I'm the gamer that can have an audience I mean, it, it, because it's, like i i was giving you know some insights on on some goofy things i did in elden ring and i mean yes i had an audience of one you know because krista was watching me and, and listening to me just like jabber jaw the entire time which i enjoy doing i like giving snide commentary while i'm playing stuff because i feel like these games lack a little bit especially like the FromSoft games a little bit of that whimsy because yeah. they're they're they're, They're very dry, dry. Yeah. Well, it, but it, I, I but I love them. And so I, I, I enjoyed that experience, but I don't know if I want that experience to be more than the person next to me. That's me. I've watched plenty of uh, Twitch streams. I just meant as a player, I I find it very difficult to like for me. That's my that's my alone time. And I totally get that. And, and I do not want to sacrifice anybody's alone time because I, of all people, know that that is super important. Uh, that's again me getting real uh but uh but uh but it's also like when when i stream i always have somebody with me because that's i true. will not I mean, you're stream also you're streaming old games too i'm streaming old games uh, well i i am as i say and haven't streamed in three months but uh but you know mike i i beg mike uh because he's a charming more clever dude than i am and funnier than i am too it's almost like i should do a podcast with him but uh you know uh, that's an inside joke. He we used to be on the show, um, but uh, 
I, I can't do it by myself. I have to have somebody there to bounce off of and to be there. It's almost like an audience of one, even though there's another audience there. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that's an, you know, it's, it's, it's this weird, interesting psychology when we're talking about <laughs> live streamers and people that do it by themselves. Like I, I have, you know, I know that PewDiePie and Ninja and Dr. Disrespect and, and, uh, uh, the the all the Minecraft streamers that I know of that are all like solo streamers. And that is such a foreign concept to me because I, as much as I like to think I'm charming and funny and all of that, I am, I cannot carry any kind of audience by myself. And I know I've, it. I've done it both ways. Um, I've done, I did an entire solo playthrough of the last of us, uh, which was miserable by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I love that game, but it's, I mean, it, yeah, I, as a solo I mean, experience, rough. I, I think I had between like 50 to 80 people watching that whole thing, like every time. And um, chat really, really helped uh, keep keep the momentum and kind of be the sounding board for that. Also, I think that it was my first playthrough of The Last of Us ever that I was doing mm. in 2020 live. And, um, you know, a lot of people you know, obviously had seen the game and played the game and wanted to see my reaction to certain moments. Um, yeah. So that was kind of what the audience got out of it. But I actually, I think I prefer having um, somebody with me, like me and Michael Smallwood from Live Screamers are actually doing streams right now of Hotful Boyfriend, the pigeon dating simulator uh, to raise money for Live Screamers. And uh, that is so fun to do together because you have me who's played the game and loves the game and knows everything that's coming. And Michael, who has never played a dating sim, has no idea what's going on and has no idea what's coming. And so, <laughs> so he is just losing his mind playing this game. And I am just so entertained behind him and making all these comments. And we're playing off each other really, really well. So I think it is almost more entertaining to watch multiple people and kind of like that let's watch format which is one of the reasons that i think i tend to watch achievement hunter and like like group streams and group group games more so than i tend to watch soloists like mark and jack anymore um just because i like the camaraderie of like the the people yeah. not playing the game that are commenting on the person playing the game <laughs> well it's funny that you mentioned that because i remember the the, the one time that we streamed on twitch it was i me, game on twitch was we did a uh a raid on destiny and I think because I wasn't really paying too much. I mean, I was I chat was there, but I, I also had my five friends that I was playing with. I was more focused on that and the time that we were having. I think a lot of people said like, oh, man, you guys should do that again because y'all seem to have a really good time. And yeah. It wasn't stilted. And wow, <laughs> Miles has a filthy mouth. <laughs> because i I mean our show is pg-13 and we make we make sci-fi curse words this episode might not be but well yeah if you want there's too much editing i'll just throw an explicit tag on it it'll be fine um no but our our um i won't Ah, i'll take that our cosmic uh, show is is pg-13 we have sci-fi curse words and stuff she had my one pg-13 f-bomb i think i did too though you did you did (laughs) you 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 did not have any s-bombs because you have three s-bombs and one f-bomb uh you know not that i'm asking you to get get those out right now you know i'm just saying well the actual the actual ratings rule is, is it an unwritten rule or is that the actual rule oh it's definitely unwritten because the mpaa will make up whatever rules they want there have been multiple movies that have had multiple f-bombs that have made the pg-13 rating i think yeah, the martian that's, that's is actually one of them okay i don't remember the f-bombs but 
I, I just remember I'm gonna science the shit out of this. That's all I remember from the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I own the movie. Meanwhile, I, I liked the movie, there's but... one. All right, definitely put the explicit <laughs> tag on here. Yes. Ooh, gang. Uh, I think <laughs> we will probably continue this conversation off air because I'm having a blast, but I am looking at the recording time and I think it is about time to wrap things up for the evening. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with us, Michelle. This has been so much fun and we have had so many converse, so many conversations. What is wrong with me? Why can't, I can't start an episode. I can't we have end talked an episode. The words. <laughs> we talked the words. Um, we said no, this, the things. This and Mike been came up. Mike, y- y- y'all don't even know how often Mike came up in the intro that it's got apparently deleted. apparently being haunted by Mike. <laughs> I mean... Mike's it's a, me. Mike, we Mike, have a Mike. we have a running joke Mike. at Octopunk that you can't do anything without a Michael. Like the Michaels take over. They actually made a, a an image of me on the the Oops All Berries cereal box, but they said Oops All Michaels, and it was all the different <laughs> pictures of all the different guys named Mike who work with me. All four of them. Um, See, I didn't know this before we recorded, but right now I feel like you have haunted this entire episode, and it's not my fault that I screwed up the intro. <laughs> And ironically, Mike just texted the both of us. Yes, he um, did. Yes, he did. <laughs> we summoned him. It's Pisces season, bitch. I'm magic. Um, one, one thing. One thing we have neglected to talk about because I've had. A, I've had. A, I knew this would be. I knew this would happen. I knew you'd be uh, an amazing guest, but we forgot to talk about your active campaign for live streamers. <laughs> so so good to talk about that at the end so we are fundraising for live screamers right now so if you think that what i've talked about at any point including you know michaels and all whatever um <laughs> at any point has been interesting um and if it sounds like a cool movie check out igg.me slash at slash live screamers indiegogo live screamers um you know you can google that too and i'm sure there'll be links and descriptions and all sorts of things you can go to my twitter lady tuano that's t-u-o-n-o i have pinned tweets and everything um um, we are currently 55% funded, which is about $14,000 out of our goal of $25,000. Uh, we have about, as of recording, 15 days to go. Um, so we're about halfway through the campaign. And uh, there's lots of perks. You can get your name in the credits for just a $5 uh, donation. You can get a Blu-ray copy of the film for $35. Uh, you can actually get copies of the original film on Blu-ray as an add-on if you haven't seen the first film and want to get a double combo pack of blu-rays uh and we've also got opportunities for onset polaroids getting your picture in the movie naming a character getting signed scripts or even getting one of the unique pairs of headphones that will be worn on screen by one of the characters and four people have claimed those so far and five remain um so there's lots of really cool benefits so you can be part of the movie you can take part of the movie home uh or you can just help out an indie filmmaker tell some uh some very dark stories about parasocial relationships and authentic tales of video games and the internet I and I need everyone to to donate so that it gets to fifty thousand dollars so I can get my vinyl. <laughs> yes, so there is a stretched goal of putting the soundtrack on vinyl for fifty thousand dollars. So if somebody wants to just come and give me twenty five grand, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, and, so, and again, we will try to include all these links in our uh, show notes. If you are listening to this and would like to 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 donate and don't want to. Uh, have to type in and just want to do a little click or tap. Uh, we'll we'll try to make that happen for you. Put it on the Twitters. I had been really bad about putting our show stuff on Twitter because you know 
I had to take a social media break at the end of 2021 because <gasps> the world was just a lot and um <laughs> and my job was a lot. Uh so I quit my job and start my new one next week. But I I opted to kind of relax on Twitter a little bit mostly because it felt like doom scrolling all the time. All and the time. Sometimes you have to give yourself a mental health break, but March 2022 we're back baby. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I know most people have still been interacting and I still talk to people, but I had not been as as active um, as I had been prior. But we will definitely have all of the information you need to uh, follow Michelle, uh, donate to Live Screamers and check out her her other films. She's got plenty of live, I mean, live action, full length features and short films. And um, are they all under the Octopunk YouTube? Um, Seven Deadly Scents, which is our horror comedy about haunted synthesizers and bisexual millennials, is on. It's a short film that's on YouTube. Uh, on the Road Again is on YouTube. That's a short horror film. I did not direct that or write that, but um, uh, Michael Whaley, a collaborator of mine, wrote and directed that. YouTube.com/slash/octopunkmedia. Also, my Detroit fan films as well. So there's at least four movies on there that you can watch right now. So can we can we retroactively call Seven Deadly Scents a cyberpunk fan film? uh probably not <laughs> probably not cyberpunk <laughs> not um Just not enough not enough futurism yeah, um it's it's, it's kind of retro uh but i did make it out of spite because somebody rejected live scream from a film festival because he only cares about retro stuff and i was like i'm gonna make an aggressively millennial synthesizer movie because because i want to (laughs) i'm sorry you just termed used the term aggressively millennial and as a geriatric millennial i appreciate that With that said, Miles, we should also probably talk about what we are bringing to our listeners next week. Yeah, so uh, we're going to keep things on theme this month. Uh, After uh, going through some of the animated adaptations of live action movies last month, I felt that we deserved a treat because that was a lot. And there was a lot of accidental and not so accidental racism that I could have done without. So, so next week, ice cream, just ice cream. Oh, no, <laughs> no, have something we else are going to uh, keep things on the video game theme and mostly kind of do a uh, a current game, a current gaming month, because a lot of stuff has come out, a lot of stuff that I know that both Drew and I are going to play. And so I pitched him like, hey, let's take a break this month and just talk about the uh the three games that we're going to play so next next week we are going to focus and i know people are going to roll their eyes because it's not the first second or third uh episode we've done in in our 10 years (laughs) here but we're going to do uh destiny 2 the witch queen uh the new expansion for destiny and guess what gang i need an excuse to play the campaign and i have it now (laughs) i have it well i'm also going to give uh drew time because he also got elden ring so spoilers for the next week we are going to be doing elden ring the week after um and then the other (laughs) well there might be there might be one in between we'll decide as it comes but next week is destiny 2 the witch queen Drew, where can people find us? So with that said, if you would like to find us at everything you do, you can find us at themoreunerd.com. This has all of our backlog of 10 years of episodes, including all the ones iTunes won't show you. That sounds more lascivious than it is. It's just iTunes only logs certain 
episode counts and we have more than that but you know what it sounds cooler when I say it that way. Uh, TheMoreYouNerd.com. You can also find us at TheMoreYouNerd on Twitter, Facebook.com slash TheMoreYouNerd. And you can email us whatever your reactions to everything are. TheMoreYouNerd at gmail.com. That's TheMoreYouNerd at gmail.com. And now we end the show as we always do with a rousing Nerd. nerd. <laughs>